This episode of Above and Beyond is sponsored by Compassion International. To sponsor a child today, simply visit Compassion.com above. There were times in my life where I felt compelled, a real conviction to live out my faith. I think the clearest moment, especially athletically for me, was Apple Cup in 1997, facing Ryan Leaf, the Rose Bowl on the line, the Cougars having a chance to go to their first Rose Bowl at Washington State in 65 years. And there stood Ryan Leaf in my building, and I wanted to beat that guy in the worst way. (laughs) And ultimately what happened were five interceptions on my ledger. And after that game, sitting in my locker, and Jim Daves coming up to me, he was our media coordinator and said, hey, just give me a quote. The other guys are just giving me a quote. I'll take it to the press and you're good. Just get out of here. I remember going and sitting in the shower and thinking, I cannot do that. My faith is compelling me to just walk my talk in good times and in bad times. It's really easy to celebrate and have wonderful character when things go well and you win. But was I really the man that I said I was in my faith, in my testimony, that I can stand up to tough times and stand up to real failure? And I did. And I walked down that hall, the long tuttle to the media room and gave the praise appropriately so to Washington State and everything else. And I will tell you some 20 years later, that is still marked in my testimony. And I'll run into people that still comment on that coaches, players. And that was a moment, a compulsion, a real conviction to live out my faith. And here's Rocky Seto's story in this podcast. You'll hear Rocky Seto's compulsion and his conviction in his faith as a guy that was a walk-on to USC, that saw multiple coaching changes, that ultimately went to work for Pete Carroll at USC and went on an incredible run winning national championships. He followed him to the Seattle Seahawks. He again wins at the highest level, winning a Super Bowl championship for the first time here with the Seattle Seahawks. And then ultimately, as he's in a position he never dreamed of, He steps away, and he leaves a dream job to become a full-time pastor. A 5'11", 100-and-nothing-pound former walk-on at USC who walked his way all the way up to the highest level of coaching but ultimately could not turn down his dream job. He walked away from the NFL and is walking right into full-time ministry. It's a conviction and a compulsion that not many have in their faith journey, but you do, Rocky Seto. And where did that journey begin? We're born and raised in Southern California and just East L.A. area. And then we grew up in the San Gabriel Valley. So where the San Gabriel Valley is basically where the Rose Bowl is in Pasadena, Mm -hmm. a little bit east of there, 15 minutes east of there. So um, a blue-collar family. My, My dad's a gardener. He's been a gardener for like the last 40 years, just kind of retired. So... It was three boys, and mm. uh, we've grown to love football. And uh, that's really where the Lord's really taking us into, like, to shape me. You know, most of my leadership lessons, most of my shaping has come through my dad and my mom and through football. And uh, it's been incredible. So a competitive home, a lot of brothers, a lot of sports. Were there broken windows, broken noses, broken lamps, broken, broken couches, broken door frames like there were yes, in our home? Yes, I was trying to explain it to my son. He goes, you broke a, punched a hole in the wall. Yeah, stuff like that. Holes in the wall. Broken windows twice, baseball one time with a backpack, yeah. and some little bit of blood too once in a while. Was the uh, was the Lord brought into your home? You know, this is an interesting thing. I did not grow up in a Christian home. Neither did I. So 
But for my dad, like I said, he was a gardener, and one of his customers, you know, told him, "Hey, why don't you send him to this private school?" And it was a Seventh Day Adventist school, hmm. and that was my introduction to Christ through that school. And I, but I wasn't a believer until 1998 through uh, wow. a teammate of mine, another Rocky, Rocky Brown. Okay, he was yeah. a wideout. He was in the locker room at Southern California, University of Southern California. He sh- shared the gospel with me, and in 1998, became a follower of Christ. But a moral home? Was it a good home? You treat people the right way? Yeah, I, I would say definitely um, hard work was the emphasis and, and persevering and the sacrifice. Those were the kind of, I would say, through my dad and mom. That we learned that about. And your aspirations as you're going and you're playing sports, was it to be the next what? You know, like, okay, this is kind of part, tied into what my dad did. So there's a lot of stuff with my dad involved mm-hmm. here. And uh, so my the customers that we had, so uh, if you're a gardener's son, you didn't like Christmas break and summer break because when you're off, you're helping dad. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. even a, hey, I'll give you some extra allowance or, hey, come help. It's like you knew there's no choice. Okay, you So just, all the other kids are looking forward to Christmas yeah. break and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember being sitting in class, man. And then yeah. so <laughs> so you take us around to – and we had customers in the San Gabriel Valley and my favorite customers, believe it or not, were Trojan alums. Mm. Okay, they're USC alums and they're, you know, they take time to talk to us and – I thought to myself, and my, I thought to myself, wow, I'd, it'd be something else if I could play football at the University of Southern California someday. So my whole dream, my mission as a boy, was to play football there, and by God's grace, it happened. Yeah. So you play at the high school level, and then you go on to junior college. Yep. Were you undersized? Was it a opportunity that didn't present itself? All that, all that, Brock. I mean, looking at you, looking at me, it's like, you know, it's like I played linebacker at USC. I was a walk-on linebacker, and yeah. I'm like five eleven. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking up to you. You know when I. That's all right. <laughs> but so <laughs> it was all that. My grades weren't good enough. Uh, I wasn't mature enough. Physically, I wasn't good enough. So instead of going, uh, you know, into four year right out of high school, I went to Mount Sac Junior College. Who the reason why I went there? A guy named Bill Fisk was the head coach. Bill Fisk was an All American, blocking for Heisman Trophy winner Mike Garrett. Back in the '60s, and I thought to myself, hmm, maybe if I could do a good job for him, he might have some pull in there, and he might make, give a call to the coach or something to help me get on, and that's what happened. And at that point, is a competitor, and this is where the intersection of faith and sports can be awesome through this journey in these podcasts. At that moment, is a competitor. You're playing in junior high, you're playing in high school, you have aspirations to go and play at USC. You ultimately end up at a junior college. As you're a competitor through all those levels, was it about Rocky? Was it about your dad? Was there ever a purpose beyond yourself? Okay, so I would say this. I had this weird thought as a boy. If I took care of football, I thought everything would be okay. Okay, so my identity was about football. Okay, and and, and it wasn't until I got to USC where my identity just shifted. Okay, what I mean by that is... I felt good about myself, how I worked out, how I studied film, what kind of practice I had, what my coach say to me if we won or lost the game. All that really, my identity, my security hinged on those things, you know. And um, the thought of getting to USC was just so driving, so consuming of a thing where I couldn't think of anything else. And I think I know that God used that to kind of keep me on a straight and narrow. Now, I wasn't perfect by any means, Brock, you know. I, I made a lot of foolish mistakes and, and, and had a lot of issues in the past, but God really protected me from these things by, you know, like, for example, like 
if I partied too hard, I knew that would hurt my chances. You know, if I tried drugs, I thought I thought my mind was my greatest asset that I had. So I didn't want to affect that because that would hurt my football. You know, so football really guarded me a lot in some ways, but it still fell short in terms of fulfilling me. Fair to almost say tunnel vision. Yeah, without question. You know, I mean, I think I learned that from my dad where he worked six, seven days a week where, I mean, he got up every day, did the same thing, did the same thing, did the same thing. And I saw that and. And I, God gave me a passion through football. Okay, so you're at Mount Sac Junior College. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're playing for an old Trojan. You're working your tail off. USC come calling. How do we transition from Mount <laughs> Sac to USC? No, I was that guy that, that got snuck in through the back door. And this is the Lord, man. I got to tell you this. This A legend named John Robinson was the head football coach at the time. Okay, he was in, he had an incredible run. He went to the uh, the Rams, had a great run there, and then came back. And the, how it worked out was I, I played at Mount Sac for three years, and I actually got into school, but they didn't, I didn't get any response back from the team, like as if you're on, this is training camp, none of that. I'm like, wait a minute. only reason I want to go there is to play on the team. I don't want to just be a student. <laughs> right. So I said, Coach Fist, like, what's going on? I, said, ah, I called. I haven't heard back yet. I'm like, hold on, hold on. I got in my Nissan pickup truck, headed west, because Mount Sac's east of USC, and then parked there. And I remember going to Heritage Hall, which is their athletic department. And I saw, I was they had four Heisman's at the time. Okay, and then I think I was looking at Charles White's Heisman, and I looked up, and I see John Robinson walking over me at the second floor. I said, "Oh, my, this is my chance." I I went up there, and I hid behind one of the corridors. And I see, hear him coming back. I'm like, yes, I'm going to act like I just accidentally bumped into this coach, right? I see how Rudy did. He kind of barged into the room. I don't want to be that guy, you know? So so he comes in, and, and, like I, and, I, and I accidentally jumped in front of him. I said, hey, coach, I'm so-and-so. I'm Rocky Seto. Can I talk to you? And I, he didn't know me from anybody. Mm-hmm. So John Robinson graciously goes, come on in, son. And he sits me into his office, and we chatted for like 15 minutes. And he, and he, what are what do you want? And I said, I want to play football f- for you. I'm gonna do everything I can to help your team mm-hmm. win. And he, and then he throws like a yellow legal pad on the on the coffee table. He goes write down your information. And about a week later, two weeks later, I get something in the mail. Hey, training camps on August eighth or something like that. I think it was August eighth. Wow. This is a reporting date. I'm like, what? So wow. I mean, th- having those type of situations happen, that was like an incredible thing. He, I'm so grateful to the Lord for Him allowing me to even be part of the team. Now, at that point, as we walk through this process with you, at that point, you're not saved. You talk about early on, you went to a private school. Had you been introduced to the gospel? Had you been introduced to the truth and your faith? I have been and uh, sprinkled through the elementary school, but even at Mount Sac, I had teammates talking to me about Christ, talking to me about mm. the gospel. I mean, dudes who used to be former partiers, and I mean, at, at the junior college level, it's a little different from the from you know, UW and mm-hmm. USC. Yeah. You kind of all walks of life. There are yeah. dudes who used to be in the army, guys who came out of even prison at times, guys like me who was hoping for a second chance, guys that were you know maybe went. Went left and now want to get another chance at football. I had guys 
a guy named Keith Leisure talking to me from Orange County about the gospel. I'm like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. But you know what? I got to get to SC. I was like tunnel vision. And then so God was really preparing me for the gospel presentation at USC. So August 8th, your fourth year, you played three at Mount Sac. So you had two years of eligibility left at USC. So you get to training camp August 8th. You get into the season. You're a walk-on. I don't know if walk-ons at USC were treated the same way, but was it a separate locker room from the scholarship guys? Was there a connection to the program? How intertwined were you? It was the same locker room, but we were kind of like in the corner, dark corner of the locker room, right? You know how it goes. And then, and then um, training camp was good. I got We got to eat with the team and all that. But once the season started, I don't know if you remember this rule, the walk-ons couldn't eat with the team once the season started. It's like some kind of equity thing in the Pac-10 at the time. And I think they got rid of that rule. I'm glad they did, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, they were great. It was, I was just happy to be there contributing any way I could. And are you Rudy Rudiker? <laughs> I, who, who is Rocky Seto at that point? What, what is your role on the team? I, okay, my role was I came in, I told him I could long snap, so, which which I kind of could have. I started practicing it, but because in the special teams coach Dave Robinson at the time, I think it was, it was John Robinson's son. You know, he let me snap a few times, and after that, he goes, "All right, just you don't have to come back anymore." So I came in as a safety because I was concerned I was too small, uh-huh. and then. And then they moved me to linebacker after that. And so I my, my role is basically to prepare the team. Yeah. Prepare the team week in, week out. Okay, so you're a walk-on, and you're grinding, and you're practicing. And is this – this is your – you have two years to play. Yep. Is this when the other Rocky comes into your life, or was it your final year at USC? No, so he, he and I walked on together. He was a walk-on from Saddleback Junior College. Matter of fact, he and I played against each other in the simple green Orange County Bowl. <laughs> they beat us in the last second. We tried a two-point conversion to beat them. They, they beat us. But he's this guy. I was some crazy dude from Orange County. I've never seen a guy so excited about Jesus. Huh. I'm like, who is this guy? Is this guy for real? Right. And then he just tell, he started explaining it to me. And then after that, it made perfect sense to me. And then one thing that happened was people have asked me, what happened when you, when you uh, committed to following Christ? I'm somebody that didn't like to read very much other than I you know I knew how to study and you know I read some the newspaper I love keeping mm-hmm. score <laughs> how my favorite batters did that the night before I I did all that but in terms of reading also I couldn't help but reading the Bible in terms in particular the book of John mm-hmm. I'm reading the book of John and this little Gideon pocket Bible that he gave me and I'm, I still have it it's a little green Bible and then mm-hmm. that's what came over that love for the word of God took over immediately so he pours into your life that year Mm -hmm. and you make a commitment with him that fall winter of 1998 so after my first year playing and then so heading into my senior year and then what everything you've known is a competitor everything that you've done in your life everything it sounds like is almost modeled after a dad's work ethic and a tunnel vision and a commitment and here you are, you come to the Lord, you've got one year left at USC. Yeah. And how different is it competing now? Now the my purpose was a little bit different. Or before I was fighting for my identity, fighting for like, hey, I could be somebody if I, we could get to USC. Mm-hmm. I could be somebody if we could win the Rose Bowl someday. You know, I felt that this is my chance to make a name for myself. Now it's like, all right, how do I represent Jesus now? Because Jesus became my identity. That's exactly who I was. And being, at one time, USC used to define me. Now it described me, you know. And now Jesus was the one who defined me. And um, that's really what happened. 
and new coach comes in. Yeah, so that was tough because, you know, it's like you've been building up for this whole six months with that same coaching staff, building a, a reputation, like earning trust. And then I was thinking to myself, oh, no, Coach Robinson got let go. And then Paul Hackett comes in, Coach Hackett, and he was incredible. Um, and um, he was a tough coach on us. And, you know, by God's grace, he he gave me a scholarship that next year. Isn't that incredible? Just mm-hmm. after a year and then getting a that, – when does that happen, right? And then it's not like I was playing either. They gave me me and another guy a scholarship Why? that year. Why? You look back, you call it God's grace. People are going to listen to that and say, I don't know if I understand. What, what do you mean God's grace? Just like that opportunity to meet John Robinson and for him to be really receptive in that moment. You know, he could have been – you know, as the head football coach of USC, you, you got a lot of things going through your mind. And to meet somebody off the street that – doesn't particularly look like a like look like Dick Buckus, you know. You you be like, what does this guy want, right? He was gracious enough to see me, and then and then have a and then the change happened, and I was sad at the time, and and I'm still sad that it happened. But it, when I thought it was like a bad situation to mm. me, for personally, it turned out to be a better situation. It kind of benefited me. Mm-hmm. Paul Hackett, Coach Hackett. Um, was receptive to really help me with the scholarship. And then he's the one that allowed me to get into coaching. He he allowed me to volunteer on his coaching staff. I hear grace. I I feel grace coming through your life, through your upbringing. And it sounds like by God's grace, a coaching door opens up that would really impact the next two decades of your life nearly. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just in like circumstances people there's no way i've had i would have any control of these situations and that's what we mean by god's grace like god is completely in control and he 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 unfolded what he had planned before me and it wasn't i mean if you look at me or know me back then i mean it's nothing like i'm uh, there's no supernatural like or, i don't know i'm like looking talent. at 62 235 <laughs> running 44 jumping 40 inches oh, it's God. crazy they waited till your fifth year to I give know. you a scholarship what were they thinking man coach carol always talks about unique <laughs> gifts man and you had all of them all lined up perfectly <laughs> those are kind of hidden though you know <laughs> <laughs> so hackett opens the door though to yeah. coaching and you decide at that time to walk through yeah. Did you know that this coaching is what your gifting was for? I was actually studying to get into a doctorate program of physical therapy. So I actually got in and I remember putting my either my I think it was a hundred thirty four dollar deposit down to hey, save my spot. And then a week later I says, ah, I think I should go into coaching. So I told my mom and dad that and they're like, you know, you gotta understand this is a blue collar family. A doctorate degree sounds pretty darn good. Yep. Okay. Instead of and the first response is, you could earn a living coaching? Like, what is all that, right? Like, come on, time to grow up. You got to play there. Now it's time to go over it. To their credit, they gave me their best counsel, and they just, but they supported me through it. And that's when I went to Coach Hack and said, hey, Coach, I got, I'm got, i in this program, but I really feel like coaching is what I really would like mm-hmm. to do. And he has a fatherly side to him where he tried to talk me out. He's like, are you crazy? as if he would talk to his own son, like, Hey, maybe getting your doctorate might be a little smoother lifestyle. Right. And cause you know, coaching could get, get kind of rough. And he, after he felt my conviction, he goes, all right, what, you could volunteer and, and this is what we'll have for you. And just watched and observed and got to be around him. So I'm incredibly grateful to the man, you know, was that a tough decision? Did you feel God's grace and hand in that? Let me describe it to you this way. Whether even as a non-believer or non-Christian, 
like instead of just going to a four-year and just trying to get a degree, nothing wrong with that. I just had this conviction, this compulsion. I have to play at USC. At least try. And if it doesn't work out, then all right, there's no regrets. It was the same overwhelming compulsion. I have to try coaching. Mm. If it doesn't work out, then so be it. But I don't want to look back and say, I should have done that. And this is basically how the Lord is directing me. He's giving me this compulsion to do the a desire or to do things. And, you know, I'm just... One of the Bible verses that really uh, is the truth that guides me is Psalms 37, 4. The Bible talks about delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, this is not making God into some cosmic genie. Basically, they're saying if Jesus is dominating your life, he, in, in fact, will impart his desires into us. Mm. So as long as I'm treasuring Jesus as the greatest treasure of my life, I just go with my desires. I just go with what I want. And yeah. and then based on what the Bible says, if there's nothing conflicting or contradictory, I, I just go with it. And so, it was that feeling, you know? Here's where it gets fascinating. So you come out of this, and here's Coach Hackett. And then I think there's further change at USC, right? Yeah. <laughs> Two years later, Coach Hackett gets let go, okay? And we just didn't win enough games. That's just how it goes, right, in sports. And I was thinking to myself, and at the time I was dating my wife, mm-hmm. who who was an athlete at SC, and and I was thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, my career is over before it even started, right? I'm like, oh, maybe I could go back into the uh, physical Was that $134 <laughs> down payment still, still stands? Do I still get that credit? You know? <laughs> Can I get back in? I know it's been too, I, I, I'll pay interest, yeah, whatever those guys I got to do. I think we gave your spot up a long time ago, so... <laughs> Yeah, but that's so. It, it was it was a tough time, but my wife, her roommate was a soccer. I mean, a, a, a volleyball player. My wife played soccer, but the roommate was a volleyball player, and she asked me. So we just got fired and let go. As the head coach goes, usually the whole staff goes, right? And she said, "Why don't we just go to uh, watch Janae play in the volleyball game?" So I went, and then uh, it was like a playoff game versus the uh, Florida Gators, I think. And so I was, I'm starting to get into it, and then all of a sudden, I look back, and I have there's Coach Carroll sitting behind me. And at the time, Coach Carroll, now you got to understand, this is not the Pete Carroll that we know 20 years later. This is the Pete Carroll that I think was let go, and kind of like a dark by mm-hmm. the Patriots, and he was like a dark horse candidate. There was there was like Mike Riley, Mike Bellotti. Yep. You remember yep. all, all those guys, right? Yeah. Even Mark Richt was a, a name that was kind of floating around. And, and then there's Pete Carroll as a dark horse. And I'm like, oh, what is he doing here? Turned out his daughter played on the volleyball team and he was just there watching. Mm. Maybe, maybe there's a little bit more behind the scenes, but he was there watching the game. And I just introduced myself and said, hey, I'm, I'm Rocky Seto. I'm, I'm working with the team. Good luck to you. That was that. Okay, and then and then a couple maybe a week later or a couple weeks later, my first assignment, one of the ADs, Steve Steve Lopes, who's still there, said, "Hey, I got a job for you." I said, "All right, come with me." So my first job, without even being hired by Coach Carroll yet, was to f- go with the AD down to the uh, LAX Marriott Hotel where Coach was staying. He goes, hey, we're going to bring Coach back to the press conference. I want you to drive his uh, rental car and follow us so he's got a ride. I want him to ride with me. So I went there, and, and then he's there at the at the, at the the uh, little turnstile at the airport. And he's, hey, he goes, hey, good to see you again. He Coach's got a good memory. Mm-hmm. He remembered me, and then 
that's basically where we, that was my first assignment was to drive his car back uh, wow. to the campus. So administrative assistant, is that technically what it was? I, well, I was with Coach Hackett. I was an administrative assistant and yeah. working uh, and, and learning and observing mostly. But And then with Coach Carroll, there was an actual promotion, just like how Coach Hackett was. Yeah. God used Coach Hackett to promote me to, yeah. as a scholarship guy and, and then also to give me my starting coaching. Coach Hack, Coach Carroll hired me on as an actual grad assistant working with the DBs. So basically what happened was I was the grad assistant and then became the safeties coach and became the linebackers coach and the DB coach and then finished off as a defensive coordinator right. at the University of Southern California. And, um, yeah, it was, it was incredible, ridiculous. It was beyond – I mean, this is beyond Brock. I mean, this, I'm a boy growing up in Southern California just hoping – that the Trojans would get resurrected someday and get into mm. some Rose Bowls. And I was like, to be part of that was ridiculous. Had you not been sitting in that gym watching that volleyball game? What do you think? Had you not creeped I, up on John Robinson behind that pillar? <laughs> <laughs> what do you, I mean, had you not been sitting there in that time and, and following that lead and meeting coach? What? I don't know. But so you know, someone asked me the other day, how does faith work? How does trusting God work? Does that mean I just... Sit out, sit in my uh, couch at home, and just wait for God to call me or someone to call me, offer me a job. I, as Christians, we're called to go for it, you know, go for it, and then see what the Lord does. And and, and that's where kind of where faith and kind of like your show is talking about, where they intersect, and uh, where God's sovereignty in, intersects, and then it happens. know as, as you've transitioned here from high school level to Mount Sac to Coach Robinson to Coach Hackett and you know, you've been exposed did you know once Coach Carroll came back how quickly did you know like wow this is going to be this is going to be a pretty special run like this has a chance to be pretty unique I you know I, I immediately when I met Coach he was a very unique person okay and he's, there's something different about him I mean I mean he gave me a chance you know, I mean, he, he um, I don't look like the typical football coach. I'm Japanese American. I mean, that I, I might, me and maybe another guy might be the make our coaching association, right? And all of, we'll put college and pro together, you know what I mean? So it just, it's kind of a unique thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, but he must have seen something in me and he gave me a shot to help out with the DBs. And then from there, how? How did that happen? Like now that you sit in the seat, you sit in, and we'll get to the Seahawks here in a minute and other opportunities that came your way and, and, and God's grace and hand upon all of that. But as you look back at the dynastic run and the national championships and the Rose Bowls and all of that, both personally, individually, and then collectively, how and why? I couldn't tell that we're going to be really good. You couldn't? You no, couldn't tell? I could not right? tell. Okay. Just in the, I was just saying, let's just keep battling, keep competing. I just heard Coach's mantra from the very beginning, let's just keep competing. And it, sure enough, Carson Palmer starts going nuts. And then mm-hmm. and then it just, uh, was it nine years later? It was just, wow, look what, I mean, five, I mean, five Rose Bowls, two national championships. We lost in the national championship game for, for the third. Uh, we could have won three in a row. Two Orange Bowls. And then a couple other bowls with the, was it the Vegas Bowl and the Emerald Bowl? But 
That was ridiculous. How did this faith live itself out in those years? Bottom line, you got to know where your identity is at. Win or lose, I mean, you'd rather win, of course. But, I mean, win or lose, that doesn't define you. Back in the day, it would have. I would have been way just filled up with myself thinking, man, look how good we are. Look at look look at what we've been able to accomplish. You know, where now as a Christian, this is all from the grace of God. This is all for God's glory. So what does it mean to glorify God? You know, you guys may have heard Christians talk about to glorify God. How we describe it for our, our children is to make God look good. You know, our God, our job is to make God look good, bottom line. And so that that's it's a constant tension, though, Brock. I mean, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean like pride isn't an issue. I mean, it's a constant, constant battle. But you got a chance when Jesus is your identity. Jesus, mm-hmm. in essence, being God of the universe, he's the one that defines us. Being on his team is the only thing that matters. So, Rocky, then how did your faith live itself out in big-time sports? I mean, big-time football at USC. Uh, let me say this much. Football is the greatest game in the universe. But there's a certain mortality thing about football. I mean, guys could get hurt. Guys do get hurt, and it doesn't last a long time. So, and, and, and the group of people that actually come to play and coach football are usually from some kind of quasi-Christian background, either from the South or maybe like a Catholic type of background where mm-hmm. if you talk about Jesus— or, hey, can I pray for you? It's not like an offensive or weird thing. Like, hey, thanks, man. I need better to cover all my bases. Having chapel and even a chaplain on a football team is very common throughout the country, even on the West Coast. Okay, And so I believe football is a very Christian-type culture. Okay, this It may it may be different at Microsoft, Okay, but in football, this is, this is definitely a, a Christian culture. So I no longer became like the Asian coach. I no longer became this coach. I got known to be, a, oh, here, here, there's a Christian coach. So when you're recruiting kids, going into their homes, moms and dads, they love football, but really they ultimately care mostly about their sons you know, and their well-being. And I think that definitely added a unique quality. So if you're a Christian coach out there, live it. Be, you be special in that way because it's very normal to act like everybody else. And I think that's the uniqueness as a Christian coach. Be that. Put raise the flag of Christ up right away, just so everyone knows exactly where you stand. I think I think it's a benefit, actually. I really do. You see the Lord use that through those years there. Yeah, I, I believe so. I mean, just in talking to people, talking to coaches, players, staff, people start talking to you about things. All of a sudden, they want to talk to you about family. They want to talk to the about talk to you about their pregnant girlfriend. They want to mm-hmm. talk to you about what's going on with their mom and their grandma, and mm-hmm. you know. Things happen, and, and you have that opportunity. But let me just say this much. You know, I mean, studying the book of Daniel, this is a book in the Old Testament of the Bible. I would recommend, if anyone's interested in how you navigate yourself in, a, I guess, a non-Christian culture, study that book. Daniel lived in Babylon, definitely a non-Christian culture at the time. And he was able to turn the king of Babylon into acknowledging God as the God of the universe. Okay, so... How did he do that? I thought the Bible, what I could glean from the Bible is Daniel was excellent when he dominated his role. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as a football, let's just talk about football. Football people come together for football. And that's the agreed upon agreement. Okay, we're going to come together as football. If you're in business, you come together for the purpose of business. In the football world, football people have football needs. What does that mean? If I'm a football coach, 
I need I need to get better as a coach. If I'm a football player, I need to learn more about the game so I can make more plays and be better. Okay, so as a football coach, how was I able to help every coach be as good as they could become, and the players to become as good as they become? And if you're excellent at that, all of a sudden you start developing a relationship with them, and now the questions turn from football to maybe personal stuff, or to even about Jesus, and then. So it starts with who you are in that culture. I think we're called to be the best coach that we could be, the best business person we can be, the best lawyer, best teacher, whatever. Okay, if you're a gardener, the best gardener that you could be, right? But live it out with biblical principles, and then you help everyone be as successful as they become, and then you develop a relationship. And then from there, they trust. Your, weight, your words have weight with the guys now. So here's Rocky Seto, and that's all wonderful, and you're shaping and impacting 18 to 22-year-old men. You have a dynastic run at USA. And then, well, Coach Carroll's going to go to the Seattle Seahawks. Right? You were the D coordinator there for a year, and Coach is going to head up, and he's going to go back to the NFL. And how is rah-rah Pete Carroll going to go coach professional athletes again? You follow Coach up here to the Seattle Seahawks, and I'll ask you the same question. Did God in your spirit say, oh, this is going to be a special run? Like I, what we did at USC, we have an opportunity to do here in Seattle as well. In my own personal journey, I I was not originally asked to come up with Coach Carroll. Mm. Okay, just to be perfectly frank with you. He and I have talked about this many times. You know, we're great friends, so we talked about it. So I have not the concern, I mean, when he came back around and asked me to be the quality control coach, my pride was really just uh, ruptured. I was like, God was doing a work in me. God was preparing me, training me for something else later on down the road. And and I thought about not even coming up there. And then that's where the Lord really stirred in my heart and said, this is where you're supposed to be. And a lot has to do with your family. My my. So my wife is from Bellevue, which is up here in greater Seattle area. And and the Lord put impressed upon my heart. The coaching part is important, but the big part is how you're able to develop your relationship with your family. Okay? And and that's where that's where God showed us this and guess what? After we accepted the job, so I'm in this crazy state, you know, like I'm disappointed with coach. Um, um, um my pride is hurt like I was the D coordinator now I'm the quality control coach. That's for for you guys who don't know, that's like the entry level coaching position. It's a great position. I mean, it's a coveted spot, but just in my pride, I, I was in my dream job just mm-hmm. weeks earlier, right? The reason why my pride was hurt because, yes, I'm a Christian, but part of my identity was based on my profession. And so when that happened, I was really upset, really hurt. and But it's not, not not to a fault to anybody else but my own, you know? And so from there, it's like, all right, am I able to still produce and work as best I can? To make God look good is 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 that still my mission, and and just open and God just kept opening up doors at the Seahawks over the last seven years, and I take the job. And how about this? Charlotte's dad comes down with kidney failure. Boom! And I was like, wow. There's no way I would have chosen to come up here on my own. Mm. And the Lord orchestrates. So there you go. God's providence again, opening up the door. And for us to be here, and then we're, we've been up here for seven years. And mm. so, did I know that we're going to be really good? I didn't know that. I mean, <laughs> I was like, I, you know, coach is good, and you know, and it was a struggle that first year, though. But but by God's grace, we were able to make the playoffs by winning the division at seven yeah. and nine. That was pretty nuts. But uh, 
And you guys walk through and you start as a quality control and this team grows. And you mentioned Super Bowl 48 that took this town over as we sit here in Seattle talking to one another, right? I mean, it just captured, captured the, this, the people and captured. And Russell comes in and he's got a conviction for the Lord. And there's other Christian men that you're surrounded with, yeah. an incredible chaplain and Carl Payne and some really neat men. And all this grows and it's growing and it's growing and, you, and you're growing in your title and you're growing in your opportunity. And then Rocky Seto says, time to move on. January 2nd, I talked to Coach Carroll, and we told him, you know, we're going to leave the team at the end of the season and to pursue full-time pastoral ministry. And um, this is, he was surprised but not surprised, meaning like he and I have talked about this over the years. I think he was actually surprised I actually did it because, you know, he's he's, he's remarked to me where, I don't know how sincere you've been, you know, because we talked a lot about this. This would be a tough situation for you to leave. And it is. What a great place. I mean, you, you guys know how awesome the Seahawks are. And mm. my home, my family is, is from this area. And what an incredible thing. And to work for a guy like Coach Carroll has been incredible. But just like that same compulsion, that com- same conviction I had to walk on at USC or to go into coaching is the same conviction that I had for ministry now. And this is something I've been thinking about over the last seven years. So when I told you I almost didn't come up, I almost thought about going to ministry back then after coach left for Seattle and, mm-hmm. and, and when I was at USC. And um, it just, it was that compulsion that just took over. And this is, I have to do this. One of my favorite pastors, um, a guy named John MacArthur, yeah. he said this to me where, um, you know, I think he had a sense that I've been wrestling with this idea. And he just said, when you stop asking questions and you just do it, you know you're called to do this thing. Mm. And so I've been asking a lot of questions, a lot of questions, uh, him and Hine a little bit. And it's like at, at some at some point throughout this season, I knew, okay, this is something that I have to do. It's just like that feeling, I have to play football at USC. I have to try coaching. This I have to do this. You know, So um, it's that conviction and that compulsion that how God's really guiding me throughout my life. And it, so it's really God's trained me throughout this time. But it's been knocking. Yeah. And, and other opportunities came knocking, right? There were other opportunities. I don't know how real or what you read in all these D coordinator jobs here, go back to college yeah. there. Or yeah. Opportunities came knocking. And yet, why yeah. through the door now? God has opened up opportunities to leave, you know, and now is just because I wasn't ready to move until my wife and I were on the same page. Yeah. And I think that was one of the greatest counsels that I got because the Bible teaches that man and wife, okay, are one flesh when they become married, meaning we have to work as one entity. And so my wife, Charlotte, she just said, you know, I could see that you're called to do this. It was a different thing is I could see you're called, meaning God has chosen us to do this. Let's do this. And that's all I needed to hear. And Is the gardener still around? Is your dad with you? He is. He is. He's 75 now. And. He's just retired and, you know, he's slowed down. You know, he's always been a strong guy. And, you know, it's just, it takes its toll on you. You know, his hands, if you touch his hands, if you ever meet him and shake his hands, it's like, it's like leather. What does the gardener think of his son's identity? Okay, this is interesting. He's not a Christian yet. When I got the scholarship, okay, he told me, he affirmed me in a way, just like I just talked about how my wife our wives could affirm us. Mm-hmm. He affirmed me in way that, the only way that a father can affirm their son. He says, basically, back then I didn't have a cell phone. So I didn't want to tell him over the phone anyway. So I drove from campus after they told us that we got a scholarship back home to Arcadia. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, hey, Papa and Mommy, like, they gave me a scholarship. And he just looked at me like, wow, you made me believe in the impossible. I was like, that, and from that moment on, there was a shift that took place in our relationship where he actually trusted me. Mm-hmm. And people have expressed concerns for us leaving coaching. And I, in, in a sense, I understand why. You know, it's, just, it's what an incredible opportunity, incredible place where people fight and claw to be at mm-hmm. and just to leave all of a sudden. Um, he's, he's the one that says, Hey, life is short. You got to do what you want to do. And he said, you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And next to God and my wife, I I would say he, that he's the third one on the list in terms of action, which I actually care about hearing his affirmation, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. it doesn't, not something we would have done it regardless anyway, but it really helps to hear that from your own father. Last few minutes here, your final conversations with Coach Carroll. You know, um, it's an interesting thing. I, I asked him. I went to his office the day after we um, came back from Atlanta, and we're having an exit meeting with the staff and with the team. I said, hey, Coach, how do you want him to handle this? Do you, do you want him to just tell guys now? Because I didn't want to – we didn't – we didn't want. I didn't want to tell anyone because I don't want to be a distraction throughout the season, you know. So he 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 said, "Hey, we go into the staff room," and he just said, "Hey, Rocky's got something to say." So I told him, "Hey, we're going to ministry." And then when I talked about him being to serve him for the last sixteen years, that's the time I broke down and kind of started weeping. And then even when the team coach let me say something to him, he said, "Hey, Rocky's leaving the Seahawks to pursue ministry," and he goes, "Do you want? Do you have anything to say?" I said. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so mm. I said, thank you, coach. So I said, I'm not, I told the team, you know, I threw out a disclaimer. I'm not speaking for Coach Carroll. I'm not speaking for the team. I'm speaking for me. And in that moment, God opened up an opportunity to leave the way I dreamt of living. Got to preach the gospel to the team in no unclear terms of sin, heaven, hell, how Jesus, being God, became a man. God the Father poured out his holy wrath on him so that someone could pay the price for for the forgiveness of our sins. Mm. And I in no unclear terms I was up to speak to the team about that and I'm grateful to coach for that opportunity. Where will Rocky Seto's identity? No longer as a coach, no longer as a walk on, no longer as the gardener's son working Christmas breaks. In essence, I'll be pastoring at a church called Evergreen Baptist San Gabriel Valley in Southern California. There's been a faithful pastor there, Corey Ishida, for the last 40 years, if you could imagine. Wow. 40 years. I'm, I'm 40 years old right now. You know what I mean? Since I've been born, he's been pastoring that church, and uh, they love the guy, and I love him too. He's one of, been, one of my mentors, and he called me up in August, August 10th, matter of fact, and said, hey, I believe that God's called you to be my successor. And that's a big deal now. This is the church I grew up in. When I, when I was at USC, this is the church we attended. Mm-hmm. This is the church we got married at. So this is a big deal for um, him to say this. And and I think the Lord was working on both sides. He was preparing me and preparing him. And so in essence, for the next two or three years, two to three years, I'll be being groomed under him to be his successor. And so this church is in Southern California. And, um, and my main ministry will be to preach the Word of God and exalt Christ in it, exalt Jesus in it. And that's really the vision that God's given me. You know, these podcasts have been such a blast to do, and it's the intersection of faith and sports. But I think for a lot of us who walk in faith and have that faith journey, we also come to different intersections. What do I do? What's next for me? 
and I hope you've been encouraged by Rocky's just compulsion and that conviction to do something that so few could do, and that's walk away from what he thought was his dream job to really follow his passion and his heart and his faith, and we wish him nothing but the best. you to all of you that really do make this happen. It wouldn't be here without you and, and your partnership. And if you want to join in in a couple more ways, well, there's two opportunities to do so. And number one is to go to compassion.com slash above. This podcast is fully sponsored by Compassion International, and I could not be more thankful for that. And the second way to partner is simply to go over to iTunes and leave a review of just what you thought of this podcast. And I so thank you for joining in with us.